Section 13 of the Journal of Lewis and Clark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. The Journal of Lewis and Clark by Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. Chapter 11. Polygamy, Treatment to Wives, marriage ceremonies, mode of divorcing, another ceremony, children called by the mother's name, etc. The Indians allow of polygamy, and persons of every rank indulge themselves in this point. The chiefs in particular have a seraglio, which consists of an uncertain number, usually from six to twelve or fourteen. The lower rank are permitted to take as many as there is a probability of their being able, with the children they may bear, to maintain. It is not uncommon for an Indian to marry two sisters, sometimes, if there happen to be more, the whole number, and notwithstanding this, as it appears to civilized nations, unnatural union, they all live in the greatest harmony. The younger wives are submissive to the elder, and those who have no children do such menial offices for those who are fertile, as causes their situation to differ but little from a state of servitude. However, they perform every injunction with the greatest cheerfulness, in hopes of gaining thereby the affections of their husbands, that they, in their turn, may have the happiness of becoming mothers, and be entitled to the respect attendant on that state. It is not uncommon for an Indian, although he takes to himself so many wives, to live in a state of continence with many of them for several years, such as are not so fortunate as to gain the favor of their husband by their submissive and prudent behavior, and by that means to share in his embraces, continue in their virgin state during the whole of their lives, except they happen to be presented by him to some stranger chief whose abode among them will not admit of his entering into a more lasting connection. In this case they submit to the injunction of their husband without murmuring, and are not displeased at the temporary union. But if at any time it is known that they take this liberty without first receiving his consent, they are punished in the same manner as if they had been guilty of adultery. This custom is more prevalent among the nations which lie in the interior parts than among those that are nearer to the settlements, as the manners of the latter are rendered more conformable in some points to those of the Americans by the intercourse they hold with them. The Indian nations differ but little from each other in their marriage ceremonies, and less in the manners of their divorces. The tribes that inhabit the borders of Canada make use of the following custom. When a young Indian has fixed his inclinations on one of the other sex, he endeavors to gain her consent, and if he succeeds it is never known that her parents ever obstruct their union. When every preliminary is agreed on, and the day appointed, the friends and acquaintances of both parties assemble at the house or tent of the oldest relation of the bridegroom, where a feast is prepared on the occasion. The company who meet to assist at the festival are sometimes very numerous. They dance, they sing, and enter into every other diversion usually made use of on many of their public rejoicings. When these are finished, all those who attended merely out of ceremony depart, 
and the bridegroom and bride are left alone with three or four of the nearest and oldest relations of either side, those of the bridegroom being men and those of the bride women. Presently the bride, attended by these few friends, having withdrawn herself for the purpose, appears at one of the doors of the house, and is led to the bridegroom, who stands ready to receive her. Having now taken their station on a mat placed in the center of the room, they lay hold of the extremities of a wand, about four feet long, by which they continue separated, whilst the old men pronounces some short harangue suitable to the occasion. The married couple then make a public declaration of the love and regard they entertain for each other, and, holding the rod between them, dance and sing. When they have finished this part of the ceremony, they break the rod into as many pieces as there are witnesses present, who each take a piece and preserve it with care. The bride is then reconducted out of the door at which she entered, where her young companions wait to attend her to her father's house. There the bridegroom is obliged to seek her, and the marriage is consummated. Very often the wife remains at her father's house till she has a child, when she packs up her apparel, which is all the fortune she is generally possessed of, and accompanies her husband to his habitation. When, from any dislike, a separation takes place, for they are seldom known to quarrel, they generally give their friends a few days' notice of their intentions, and sometimes offer reasons to justify their conduct. The witnesses, who were present at the marriage, meet on the day requested at the house of the couple that are about to separate, and, bringing with them the pieces of rod which they had received at their nuptials, throw them into the fire in the presence of all the parties. This is the whole of the ceremony required, and the separation is carried on without any murmurings or ill-will between the couple or the relations, and after a few months they are at liberty to marry again. When a marriage is thus dissolved, the children which have been produced from it are equally divided between them, and as children are esteemed a treasure by the Indians, if the number happens to be odd, the woman is allowed to take the better half. Though this custom seems to encourage fickleness and frequent separations, yet there are many of the Indians who have but one wife, and enjoy with her a state of connubial happiness not to be exceeded in more refined societies. There are also not a few instances of women preserving an inviolable attachments to their husbands, except in the cases before mentioned, which are considered as either a violation of their chastity or fidelity. Although I have said that the Indian nations differ very little from each other in their marriage ceremonies, there are some exceptions. The Naudoeses have a singular method of celebrating their marriages, which seems to bear no resemblance to those made use of by any other nation I passed through. When one of their young men has fixed on a young woman he approves of, he discovers his passion to her parents, who give him an invitation to come and live with them in their tent. He accordingly accepts the offer, and by so doing engages to reside in it for a whole year, in the character of a menial servant. During this time he hunts, and brings all the game he kills to the family, by which means the father has an opportunity of seeing whether he is able to provide for the support of his daughter and the children that might be the consequence of their union. This, however, is only done whilst they are young men, 
and for their first wife, and not repeated like Jacob's servitude. When this period is expired, the marriage is solemnized after the custom of the country in the following manner. Three or four of the oldest male relations of the bridegroom, and as many of the brides, accompany the young couple from their respective tents to an open part in the center of the camp. The chiefs and warriors, being here assembled to receive them, a party of the latter are drawn up in two ranks on each side of the bride and bridegroom, immediately on their arrival. Their principal chief then acquaints the whole assembly with the design of their meeting, and tells them that the couple before them, mentioning at the same time their names, are come to avow publicly their intentions of living together as man and wife. He then asks the two young people, alternately, whether they desire that the union might take place. Having declared with an audible voice that they do so, the warriors fix their arrows and discharge them over the heads of the married pair. This done, the chief pronounces them man and wife. The bridegroom then turns round and, bending his body, takes his wife on his back, in which manner he carries her amidst the acclamations of the spectators to his tent. The ceremony is succeeded by the most plentiful feast the new married man can afford, and songs and dances, according to the usual custom, conclude the festival. Among the Indians, as well as European nations, there are many that devote themselves to pleasure, and notwithstanding the accounts given by some modern writers of the frigidity of an Indian's constitution, become the zealous votaries of Venus. The young warriors that are thus disposed seldom want opportunities for gratifying their passion, and as the mode usually followed on these occasions is rather singular, I shall describe it. When one of these young debauchees imagines, from the behavior of the person he has chosen for his mistress, that he shall not meet with any great obstruction to his suit from her, he pursues the following plan. It has been already observed that the Indians acknowledge no superiority, nor have they any ideas of subordination, except in the necessary regulations of their war or hunting parties. They consequently live nearly in a state of equality, pursuant to the first principles of nature. The lover, therefore, is not apprehensive of any check or control in the accomplishments of his purposes, if he can find a convenient opportunity for completing them. As the Indians are also under no apprehension of robbers or secret enemies, they leave the doors of their tents or huts unfastened during the night as well as in the day. Two or three hours after sunset, the old people cover over the fire that is generally burning in the midst of their apartment with ashes and retire to their repose. Whilst darkness thus prevails and all is quiet, one of these sons of pleasure wrapped up closely in his blanket to prevent his being known, will sometimes enter the apartment of his intended mistress. Having first lighted at the smothered fire a small splinter of wood, which answers the purpose of a match, he approaches the place where she reposes, and, gently pulling away the covering from the head, jogs her till she awakes. If she then rises up and blows out the light, he needs no further confirmation that his company is not disagreeable. But if after he has discovered himself she hides her head and takes no notice of him, 
he might rest assured that any further solicitations will prove vain and that it is necessary immediately for him to retire during his stay he conceals the light as much as possible in the hollow of his hands and as the tents or rooms of the indians are usually large and capacious he escapes without detection it is said that the young women who admit their lovers on these occasions take great care by an immediate application to herbs with the potent efficacy of which they are well acquainted to prevent the effects of these illicit amours from becoming visible for should the natural consequences ensue they must forever remain unmarried the children of the indians are always distinguished by the name of the mother and if a woman marries several husbands and has issue by each of them they are called after her the reason they give for this is that as their offspring are indebted to the father for their souls the invisible part of their essence and to the mother for their corporeal and apparent part it is more rational that they should be distinguished by the name of the latter from whom they indubitably derive their being than by that of the father of which a doubt might sometimes arise whether they are justly entitled there are some ceremonies made use of by the indians at the opposition of the name and it is considered by them as a matter of great importance but what these are i could never learn through the secrecy observed on the occasion i only know that it is usually given when the children have passed the state of infancy nothing can exceed the tenderness shown by them to their offspring and a person cannot recommend himself to their favor by any method more certain than by paying some attention to the younger branches of their families there is some difficulty attends an explanation of the manner in which the indians distinguish themselves from each other besides the name of the animal by which every nation and tribe is denominated there are others that are personal and which the children receive from their mother the chiefs are also distinguished by a name that has either some reference to their abilities or to the hieroglyphic of their families and these are acquired after they arrive at the age of manhood such as have signalized themselves either in their war or hunting parties or are possessed of some eminent qualifications receive a name that serves to perpetuate the fame of these actions or to make their abilities conspicuous end of section thirteen